You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Uh, Thank you, Jamie, Pastor Jamie, for those warm words. Thank you, uh, Pastor Ben. Uh, We love you. We love Jessica. What dear friends you guys are, and what a privilege it is for us to be here at Gateway Church especially on such a strategic Sunday as uh, your Missions Encounter and Faith Promise. Uh, Today brings back so many uh, wonderful memories for us because I firmly believe and will share uh, in my comments today that missions is the engine. God had one son. He was a missionary. Uh, Actually, Jesus was God's faith promise. He was God's tithe. God tells us if we'll honor him, uh, with tithes and offerings, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. We give before the blessings. Uh, God gave Jesus in faith that you and I would be sitting here today. And he gave him in faith that many other people will be sitting in churches like this around the world, both today and in years to come. So thank you. Thank you for loving what God loves. God loves people. He loves people. And he wants us to love them too. And I, of course, I'm starting to preach my message before I start preaching my message. But uh, thank you for letting me be here. Uh, it brings, again, so many memories. For many, many years, uh, uh, our faith promise to missions was our biggest monthly uh, commitment. Bigger than our house payment, bigger than our car payment, bigger than our uh, Christian school payment for our kids. And, and I can tell you God has just showered us and our family with so many blessings through the years. And so I'm excited for you and uh, for today. So let me uh, plunge in before I ramble on too long today. Lieutenant John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightened his army uniform, and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station in New York City. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he'd never seen the girl with the rose. His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and insightful mind. In the front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her address. She lived in New York City. He wrote her a letter introducing himself and inviting her to correspond. The next day, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart. A romance was budding. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what he looked like, what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 o'clock p.m. at Grand Central Station in New York. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock p.m., He was in the station looking for a girl whose heart he loved, but whose face he'd never seen. I'll let Mr. Blanchard tell you what happened. A young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim. 
Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small, provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her, and, and then I saw Miss Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl, a woman well past 40, pretty young. She had graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, her thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had companioned me and truly upheld my own. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I didn't hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn, blue cop leather copy of the book that was identified me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I had been and must ever be grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Hollis Maynell. I'm so glad you could meet me. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, son, she answered. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said, if you were to ask me to dinner, I should tell you she is waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. Pretty smart, wasn't she? <laughs> tell me who you love, Say wrote, Husay, and I will tell you who you are. Can I repeat that? Tell me who you love. I will tell you who you are. You know, who and what we love has always been a test with God. You might say it's the great test. The great commandment is that we love God with our whole person, all of our heart and mind and soul and strength, and that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If we, if we true love God, truly love God with all that we are and all that we have, then we're going to love what God loves of course, it begs the question, what does God love? And it's easy, the most famous verse ever, probably, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's who God is. He so loved the world that he gave. That's what God does. He loves and he gives. As I said, God sent his one and only son. He had one son. He's a missionary. God loves missionaries. And, and he sent him in faith that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God isn't willing that people perish. God wants people to be saved. 
And the wonderful news is God is doing his part. Jesus said it in John 4, 35. Do, do you not say four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. That's what Missions Encounter is about. We're opening our eyes and we're looking on the fields and we are discovering that they are ripe for harvest. God is doing his part. He is pouring out his spirit on all flesh like the rain. He is getting the harvest ready to be, to be harvested, ready for reaping. He is doing what he needs to do. He's put a measure of faith in every person to believe the gospel. Deep down inside, every person, whether they'll admit it or not, even to themselves, there's a vacuum inside that only God can fill. They know they're lost. They know deep down that there's someone out there that has something better for them. God has given them a measure of faith. They know, they know that there's something better for them, and they're waiting for the laborers, for the harvesters. They're waiting for you and me and others and for us to send into the harvest fields. David Livingston the famous missionary, poured out his life in Africa. Many would say he paid a terrific price for the privilege of ministry there. He buried his wife there in Africa. His shoulder was torn by a lion. One eye was poked out by a stick. His skin turned leathery by the sun, and Livingston became seriously ill. He, he depended upon a certain prescription uh, to keep him alive. One night he returned to his hut and to find to his uh, deep hurt and dismay that somebody had broken in and stolen his medicine. And he fell to his knees and he cried, God, you know I'll, I'll die without this prescription. Please send it. Two weeks later, Stanley, who was dispatched by the Queen of England to find Livingston and write his story, he arrived and among his first words along with his famous greeting, you know, Dr. Livingston, I presume, among his first words were these, I am the biggest swaggering atheist you've ever met. Don't try to convert me. And by the way, somebody sent you this medicine. <laughs> Two months later, Stanley fell to his knees and gave his life to Christ. He pled with Livingston to return home. The queen will knight you, he said. You'll live in luxury. You've done enough for Africa. You're sick. You need to come home. But Livingston refused. He was so ill, he had to be carried on a cot so he could preach. One night, he was carried back to his hut, and he asked his faithful friend, Tumba, please put me on my knees. I, I must pray a while before I go to bed. Tumba returned to find Livingston dead. He died praying for Africa. Chumba and three friends carried his body 1,500 miles so his remains could be shipped back to England for burial. But first they cut out his heart and they buried it under a tree and they said his body may belong to England. But his heart, his heart will always be in Africa. There's a postscript to that story, by the way, many, many years later, not long ago. The Assemblies of God needed a piece of land in that country. It's a Muslim area. And the only piece of land they could get was where Livingston's heart was buried because it was a Christian burial ground now, and it was the only place that they were allowed to 
get any kind of property. His heart is still beating for Africa these many years later. Our church is served by wonderful men and women whose heart is in Africa. It's in the Philippines and Malaysia and China and Eastern Europe. Their heart is in the Middle East today. It's, it's with Asians, for Asians in Southeast Michigan and the Arab Muslims in Dearborn. It beats for the hurting men and women who stumble into Teen Challenge and Adult Challenge, whatever we're calling it now. Their heart is for the university campus and for women caught up in human trafficking. Their heart is for lost people that God loves, that he's not willing that any should perish. It's summed up in one of our missionaries. Clint Clincher told me, he said, I visited Turkey on a short-term missions trip and my heart never left. But how can they go if we don't send them? How can they be effective if we don't partner with them, if we don't care for them, if we don't pray for them? The haunting questions of the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 14, and 15 still confront us. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? That's the question we're answering today. So we make out our faith promises. It's actually, it's the test God is giving us today. God is going to place in your heart an amount of money that he wants to invest through you for the cause of world evangelism. That money goes into the church's mission fund that goes out. It's, it's kind of like a stock mutual fund. And uh, you, get, you get stock all over the world. As, look at all the flags. Isn't that amazing? Wonderful. Your stock, your stock is in every one of these countries that these flags represent and all the ministries and all that's happening. It's represented there. Today is a step of faith. Now, faith is what? You know, it's, it's what we don't see, the evidence of what we don't see. It's, but it's what God's putting in our hearts saying, this is what I want to do. It, it isn't dependent on what we think we can budget or afford. But it's... It's, God, what do you want to do through us, through our family this year? I love the little boy who made a faith promise to missions. He, he pledged $12 for the year. And he wrote on the bottom of the pledge card, he said, my dad will pay it. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's the spirit of today because we have a father in heaven and only he knows, only he knows what this year will bring for us. Only he knows the money that he's going to trust us with this year, the opportunities that are going to come our way, the, the, the unexpected blessings that we are going to receive. Only he knows what we will be able to do, obviously with his anointing and with his health, with his help. You know, Faith Promise Sunday at our church was always the high point of our year. We, we plan for that for those Sundays, uh, we plan for those Sundays all year long. We strategize. We, we, uh, we ask God to help us. Uh, Marilyn and I always prayed fervently, asking God for his will for us. And when I filled out that faith promise card every year, it was with a sense of awe, a little bit of shake to my hand, I must admit. 
Because there was a sense in our lives that God was going to have to stretch our faith and finances. Sometimes we thought, you know, this is what you want us to do. It would also be, it would also prove to be a source of miracles. Uh, our first missions convention ever in Adrian is deeply imprinted on my mind. It was around 50 years ago, a little more than that perhaps. Uh, as a church, we gave to missions, always gave to missions through our annual church budget. We were a missionary church. We believed in missions. We loved missions. And we budgeted uh, a major portion of our budget for it. But it, was, uh, but it was at a time when faith promise giving was just a brand new idea. It just started to catch uh, catch. Catch on. It it was uh, founded by uh, Oswald Chambers, I think was the guy in uh, in Canada. I think that was just the one. But anyway, it founded in Canada. Churches were just starting to use the Faith Promise Plan for uh, for uh, for their missions program, and and we knew as a leadership team that that's what God was saying to us that we were supposed to implement that in our church. At the same time, we were preparing to build our new church our new church facility out on US two twenty three and. It was going to be a huge step of faith for us. Um, we owned 50 acres of land on the, on the main thoroughfare uh, coming into town. Uh, we were jam-packed in our facility. I mean, we just were so packed. We, we do, that was the day of Sunday school contests. We ran buses, all kinds of things. And we'd say to people, we've got to get more kids. And they'd say, no, no, we, don't, we can't handle any more kids. We have no room. And... And uh, we were desperate. We, we applied all kinds of plans. We'd have plans for church facilities that were too small that we couldn't afford. What we could, have, what we could afford was too small. What we needed was way beyond our ability. And, and uh, we finally came up with a plan. We had raised, uh, we had saved a few hundred thousand dollars at that time. We borrowed $500,000 from the local bank. Actually, it took two banks to come together because no one bank would uh, give a loan that size. And I was, you know, 20 two, 23 years, you can imagine seeing this little kid come in, you know, saying, I want to borrow half a million dollars. Yeah, right, you know. And, um, but that wasn't going to be enough to finish our building. We would need at least $250,000 more. Our plan was to uh, raise that additional 250000 as we built. As it turned out, it was, a, it, was a, it was a mammoth project all around because uh, we ended up with a strike and... Uh, you know, we had all union contractors. We were doing it ourselves except for one. And it, the, the one, I mean, their bid was just so far out. We had another, another contractor that was union, but a different union. And it was just a big mess. And, and uh, we need to raise, as I said, 250. Did I say that this was going to be a huge challenge for us? And I was deeply concerned that our people would be hesitant to, to exhibit genuine faith in, in making out their promise, knowing the mountain of responsibility that, that we faced as a congregation to, to, to relocate and build the new facility. I mean, it was, it was going to be major, and our people felt it. I mean, everybody, they were on board. We needed to do this. And, and I prayed intensely. I mean, I cried out to God that God would supernaturally fill us with vision and that we would truly trust him with our finances. And on Faith Promise Sunday, that Sunday, we committed to World Evangelist $25,000. Again, this was 50 years ago. And it was, it, was an, it was a miraculous step of faith for us. It was more money than we'd ever given to missions before. And I was ecstatic. I was so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the next Friday, I went to the mailbox. And I was, as I was leafing through the mail, I came to an envelope. Oh, I wonder what this is. It, you know, the postmark, uh, the 
whatever it was, uh, from a wealthy businessman, a well-known businessman in our community. He didn't attend our church. I, I didn't know if he was a believer or not. I didn't personally know him. Uh, I had I'd gone to see him months before uh, to talk about our project, and he kind of patted me on the head and said, well, I'm doing a hospital and, you know, whatever, and no response from him. But you can imagine my shock Excitement and thrill when I opened that envelope and removed the check for $50,000. And God taught me that when we care about what he cares about, he's going to care about what we care about. He cares about it anyway, but he's going to know that he can trust us. And if we plant where we don't expect to reap, we will reap where we have not planted. And our family and our people learned that lesson repeatedly through the years. I could tell you story after story of of our own family and my kids who are following in that footsteps and my grandkids now who are catching the vision for that and taking steps of faith in their finances and seeing what God does. But it became an ongoing source of, of, of miracles both in our people's lives as well as in the life of our church. Burkhart family, some of you will recognize that name, uh, that name because uh, Rob Burkhart, their son, served both in Adrian on my team and then in the district office with me for many years, a genius, a great leader. But their family learned that lesson uh, actually a little before we arrived in Adrian. They're, they were a family of modest means. They had, they had five children, lived in a small farmhouse at the edge of town in, in a community part of uh, our area called Palmyra. That area had a very, very poor water supply, and especially at their house, they felt it. In the summer, they had a well. The well would dry up. They had to have water hauled in. It was expensive. It was was a hardship for them. We had a missionary representing a Bible school in Ecuador at our church, and the missionary was raising money to drill a well. And he reported how the students had to carry water up a steep hill and what a burden it was to the school and the ministry and how desperately they needed this well. And, and Paul and Madeline Burkhart were touched by the missionary stories. They were touched by every missionary. And they had been saving money to drill a new well at their house. And you know the story. God spoke to them and told them to give that money to the missionary. And they made a, a, a pledge beyond that to drill the well at the Bible school. It wasn't until late summer that Madeline was at the kitchen sink with water gushing out of the faucet. When it hit her, she she realized, we haven't had to buy water this summer. And do you know God miraculously turned on their well and it worked with strong water pressure for the next 50 years until Paul had gone on to heaven and Madeline was needing to get to a nursing home, and the kids knew that they'd never get her out of the house, you know, and God, had it, and God turned the water off so the kids could get her out of the house and into the nursing home. We're never going to outgive God. Now, not only, we don't give for that reason. We give because it's, because it's the right thing to do, because, because we love missions, we love people, we, we want to see them saved, it doesn't matter. But the benefit is that you can't outgive God. You, you pay your tithes, he opens the windows of heaven, he meets our needs, he provides. I close with this image, I think I close with this image, I, I see I have a little more time than I thought. And 
So I think I close with this image, but uh, Psalm uh, 1, I think it's 126. Anyway, it's verses 5 and 6. I was a little confused with the, with the uh, information I sent to your office. But anyway, the verses are these. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, I don't know if there are any farmers here, and uh, I lived in somewhat of a farming community. I've never known of a farmer weeping as he went out to sow, because we live in, I mean, we're pretty well off as a society, and as a, we have our issues with poor people, certainly, but we're pretty well off, and I don't know of many farmers that are just weeping as they're planting that seed. Del Tar shares a moving picture of the West African farmer living on the Great Sahel. This semi-arid bush country stretches in a narrow band between the Sahara Desert and the tropical rainforest on the coast. The savanna country receives 20 to 40 inches of rain a year, but all of it falls in the very short period during the four months from May to August. A year's supply of food must be raised in the short growing season. The eight-month dry season that follows represents some of the most severe weather conditions of any inhabited region on the globe. Deltar writes, the following, store, the following scene is etched in my memory. Harvest time is a joyous time on the savanna because food is in abundance. People laugh and smile and there is much dancing far into the night. The staple crop is millet and from this a meal is ground to make mush which is eaten twice a day during the months of plenty, October, November and December. The main meal eaten just before retiring is a happy time. People sleep well on a full stomach. About January, these two meals become smaller as the granary is noticeably diminished from its original bounty. Then for many families, the months of February brings quite a change in eating habits. To conserve grain until the next rainfall, they permit themselves only one main meal, which is still eaten at bedtime. April and May are the saddest months. Many families are running out of food. It isn't unusual to hear in the hush of an African dusk small babies crying from real physical hunger. What does a father or mother say to a six-year-old boy who after eating the only meal of the day, looks up and says, Daddy, Mommy, I'm still hungry. Can I please, please have something more to eat? In the last few weeks before the new rains come, many families sell some of their dearest possessions to buy a few handfuls of grain to keep them alive. Many wives boil bark and roots to give their families something to eat at the end of the day. It's difficult to describe the barrenness and desolation of a landscape that has not seen rain for eight months under the broiling tropical sun. During that time when the majority of the population is on the verge of disaster, some bright-eyed boy will come running to his father with joyous excitement. Daddy, daddy, we've got some grain. Quickly take it to mommy so she can make us some mush so tonight our tummies can be full. The father asks, son, where, where did you find the grain? 
little boy is that, you know, over in the extra hut by the animal corral, I, I found a leather pouch. Inside, it has grain in it. And the father has to explain that this is seed grain for next year's crop and is the only hope between them and starvation. Yes, it does belong to them, but they dare not eat it. How many times over the past weeks has the father or mother longingly eyed that pouch, but they know you cannot eat your seed. It is your only hope for tomorrow. When the rains come and the hard cracked earth begins to soften, the whole family goes out to the field and in their weakened condition, with great effort, they prepare for planting. The father takes down that leather pouch and with tears in his eyes, he literally throws away and buries the very commodity his family desperately needs. He weeps. He is sorry for the delay between planting and harvest. Oh, if they only dared to eat it. In spite of the sorrow with hot, Salty tears streaming down his face. He invests his seeds and his hopes in the earth. He has faith in the harvest. He weeps now. He believes he can dance and rejoice and laugh and sing later. Please don't eat your seed. Time for one more quick story, I see. So, not my notes. See if I can remember. But story of an of a village that had an old hermit living outside of town, and he was a sage of sorts, and the people would come and pose the most difficult questions, and with an uncanny wisdom, he was always able to give them the right answer. And The young people of that area loved trying to come up with something that would stump him, and these boys were on their way to the swimming hole, and they heard the chirping of baby birds, and they found the nest, and, and they took... They took one of the baby birds, and the boy said, I'm, I'm going to go to the old man, and, and he's not going to be able to answer this question. I'm going to hold this baby bird in my hand and ask him, old man, what's in my hand? And when he says it's a baby bird, I'm going to ask him, is it alive or is it dead? If he says it's alive, I'm going to crush the bird in my hand and show him the dead bird. And if he says it is dead, I'm going to show him the live bird. There's no way he can answer it correctly. And so with glee, they run to the old man with a bird in his hand. And the man's working outside of his house, and the, kid, and the young man yells, Old man, what is it in my hand? And hearing the chirping of the baby bird, he says, You're holding a young bird in your hand. The boy says, Old man, is the bird alive or is it dead? And the old man thinks for a moment, and he says, That's up to you. The bird is in your hand. That's the question God poses today. How can they go unless somebody sends them? He says, it's up to us. It's up to us. It's in our hands. And I pray that God will indeed, indeed fill us with faith today. To say, God, what do you want me to do? And whatever he tells you, if you do it, you won't be sorry. God bless you. Pastor, hearing you share brings me back a few years, and I love you, and I appreciate your heart. Thank you. Thank you. 
and your stories and your passion and your faith. Church, this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm not sure where Bobby is. He's in the back. Uh, we're going to interact with uh, our faith promise cards that you had to remove to be able to sit down. If you're sitting on it, go ahead and stand up and get it. It'll be crinkled, but uh, that's okay. Uh, we support missions here at the Gateway Church uh, in two ways. Uh, when part of our story at the Gateway Church, when I became pastor, we were supporting three missionaries, pastor, and uh, that was back in 2006. Um, at that point, uh, the Lord put it on my heart that we would start to fund missions through our general fund. It was one way. And I felt like the Lord wanted us to give a tithe to every, uh, for every undesignated gift that came to the church. Uh, at that point, we were a super tiny congregation. It was a huge step of faith. We actually created a five-year plan uh, that we went from 2%, then to 4%, 6%, 8%, and then to 10%. And since then, we've continued at 10%. Uh, so every time you tithe, every time there's an undesignated gift, 10% goes to fund missions. That's missions projects. It helps with missions trips. It helps with missions encounter, uh, with all the expenses there. Uh, it pays for missions guests to be with us like next week. And, uh, and there's all kinds of projects that we've supported through the years uh, through that 10%. So that's one Avenue, how we support missions. The other piece is through faith promise giving. And faith promise giving simply is the congregation, those that call the Gateway Church their home, we, our expectation is that you will participate above and beyond your tithe with a faith promise pledge. Our goal is 100% of our people giving above and beyond their tithe to missions. Just so you know, that's our expectation. You say, well, how does it work? Well, uh, for every dollar that comes through faith promise giving, 100% of those are funneled directly to our missions. There's no expense taken or drafted off. 100% is given to our missionaries. Say, well, where are we today? Well, uh, back in 2006, when I took the reins here, we were supporting three missionaries. And today, I'm excited to say that we are, are uh, supporting 93 missionaries and missionary organizations. And it's awesome. And the thing is, we believe that we're just starting. There are missionaries that we have met over the last year or so that are in the wings that we desperately want to pick up for support. And the way that happens is, is when we, as a congregation, say, you know what? We're going to give. We're going to give sacrificially through faith promise giving. So between today and in next week's service as well, we're asking you to give a faith promise to say, God, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. And this is not a new idea for my wife and me. Uh, she'll be here second service, and she uh, will verify 
that this testimony is true just from this last year, uh, really from the last month and a half or so. Uh, so many times there's miracles that are related or connected to our faith promise giving. Uh, last year we gave a faith promise and like Pastor Leach, uh, our faith promise uh, has grown over the years and sometimes it's uh, larger than others. Uh, we just, we kind of discern what, Lord, what are you doing in this season and how, what do you want us to give? And uh, last year again, uh, the largest uh, um, uh, bill or the largest payment out of our monthly budget is our faith promise. And uh, we say that uh, with humility and God has blessed our family and uh, has able, we've done that for years now and uh, it just is uh, the way it is in the Bay home. But this last year, uh, I've been on a journey where, uh, and Bobby can attest uh, and our team knows and I've shared a little bit, uh, bits and pieces here through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the EHS class that 50 of us are going through right now where I'm learning to strive less and let God do more. And some of you know that I've got a gift to buy things and sell things, and I do that for missions. How many of you guys have ever heard, you know, you, you knew that about me? Most of you guys knew that. Uh, I, I buy and sell watches. I buy and sell vehicles or motorcycles or anything for that matter. And, uh, but I, I was on this journey saying, all right, God, I'm going to strive less and let you do more. And as the year progressed, uh, I, we flipped about four scooters in uh, earlier this year. And uh, that was a great flip. And uh, we give out of our normal budget to missions, uh, our faith promise. There's a portion of that that just is automatic. But we believe that God, if he can get it to us, he can get it through us. And I'm, I literally am thinking, this year is a year we're not going to hit our faith promise commitment. And uh, lo and behold, my neighbor across the street, uh, uh, he's been to our church at our grand opening, and he's been for one other special event, but he doesn't attend here. And uh, he knew that I like to buy and sell cars, and he basically asked me for his help to sell his truck. And I said, okay, yeah, absolutely. So I said, but if I'm, I'm going to do that, I'm going, I will do that for missions. And as long as you're okay with that, he said, that's fine. Uh, that, that would be fantastic. And we created a, an expectation. And uh, the truck ended up being way, worth way more than he thought it was worth. And uh, long story short, I was able to turn that. He was able to uh, keep a, a small portion. He gave about uh, three-fourths of the cost of the truck to four missions. And we just keep on moving on. It's just the way it is. And I say that to say, when we interact with a number saying, God, what would you have me to do? Lord, if you could get it to me, could you get it through me? Um, that's what faith promise giving is. It exhibits a tremendous amount of faith, saying, Lord, what would you have me do? And every year, Jessica and I, we pray, and we encourage you to do the same. But the way we're going to end the service today is by filling these out. And it's basically, you can make a weekly faith promise or a monthly. Uh, 
Jessica and I, we actually usually make a yearly amount. And we say, all right, this is what we'd like to do for the year. And then uh, we, we turn that in. And then we, what happens is you take the small portion, you tuck this away where you do your devotions and you see this and you pray over that. And you just, throughout the year, you say, Lord, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. And uh, that's how it works. And it funds not only the 93, but I'm believing, and our missions team is believing for increase in this season. We've been stagnant for the last couple years, and there's a backstory uh, that I will share just briefly. There was one family in our church that were very passionate about missions with us, and their faith promise um, was about 40% of our overall faith promise giving from the entire church. Uh, it was significant. I'll just say that. And uh, the Lord moved them on a few uh, years ago. And, uh, and from that moment, uh, we have not picked up new missionaries, but we have been able to continue. And the Lord was good. We had reserves. And we continue to see God's faithfulness. And I'll just say, this year, our giving has been supernatural already. And I, and I, we did Chosen with, for, with uh, child sponsorship. The, the point is you cannot outgive God. When there are opportunities to give, we can say yes. And we can say yes again. And today, we want you to say yes. And we want you to ask the Lord and ask him, what number is it? And as he speaks to you, don't be surprised if it's out of your reach in the natural that's when the faith kicks in and you with God's help can make a huge difference. Our goal is to be picking up missionaries in the first part of 2024 our missions team and just so you know our missions team we meet we pray for our missionaries uh, we have seven regional directors that are communicating with our missionaries and we are poised uh, right now to take on additional missionaries with the team that we have. And all it takes is our faith promise giving to fund what we already do and beyond. And we're believing for that. So I'm going to pray. And then if you need a pen, uh, Pastor Sean will kind of make his way around. And uh, Pastor Bobby's going to lead us. And by the end of the song, we're going to ask that you would make your way uh, to the altar here and uh, we'll be standing uh, halfway through the song have a stand and then we'll just you just bring and you drop in your faith promise and uh, you'll remember you keep the small portion and that's how we're going to do it this morning Lord we just thank you for these moments Lord you're so good Lord I, I, I'm just grateful that when we care about what you care about you take care of our needs above and beyond. You are a supernatural God. And God, this morning, as we interact with this idea of faith promise giving, whether it's our first time giving a faith promise or this is uh, historic and you've done it uh, since you were little, Lord, either way, Lord, I pray that this year you would do something supernatural in and through us. And God will give you the praise, will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. For God so loved 
worship is our chance to respond, to give back to the one who gave everything for us. A loving father who gave his son, a son who gave his life. And this is our chance to worship. And, and I think of a line, a, a quote from a um, famous pastor, uh, John Piper. He says um, that missions exists because worship doesn't. That there are people in this world that don't know Jesus because there are people that are missing from this table. And this is a chance for us to be part of making sure that they hear the name, that they have a chance before they don't have a chance any longer. So Jesus, we just thank you. God, we thank you. Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, we thank you that you paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, for our forgiveness, for our wholeness, Lord. And we thank you that you call us to be your emissaries. Lord, that you gave everything and you just ask for our loyalty, for our allegiance, for our faithfulness, Lord. So help us to be faithful in worshiping you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, Lord. And that means sacrificing, laying down some things that mean so dear, even our finances, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would stretch us, that you would speak into every area of our lives, into our vocation, into our time. Lord, we thank you that you even speak in our stewardship and our finances, Lord. Help us to be people that follow after you, people who give, people who sacrifice, people who love others when it's tough because you have loved us even when we didn't deserve it, Lord. And we just thank you that we get to be a small part, that we get to play a small part in your story, that we'll never know the impact that our giving gives, that we'll never know the impact that our faithfulness gives. Lord, but we thank you that we have the opportunity today to sow a seed knowing that you will be the one to bear the fruit. Lord, thank you for that opportunity, for that privilege, Lord. Let us never see it as a burden. Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. And we know that as we leave this place as missionaries ourselves, to our schools, to our workplaces, to our families, that you will be before us, behind us, and all around us every single step of the way. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pastor Bill, thank you so much for sharing. You guys can go in the grace of God. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.